You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts today, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we talk about the book 2 Samuel. Now, one of the reasons that we're doing this is because kind of the arc of uh, knowing faith in a given season is we kind of trace whatever Bible study our church, the Village Church, is doing at that time. And so uh, you can follow along with this. You can find curriculum and audio for the 2 Samuel Bible study online at tvcresources.net. But on today's episode, we introduce 2 Samuel, and we really talk about why 2 Samuel matters. Okay. Uh, so when we came in to record today, Jen was insulting the music I was listening to, which is not, I mean, I listen, I'm the butt of the insults in this room and I'm, I'm owning my oh, position there. Come on. So Jen, what kind of music do you listen to? Oh, just classical. That's not true, is it? I'm kidding. But I have pretty nerdy musical taste. I mean, I like old stuff and then whatever my kids have introduced me to. Oldies. Mm -hmm. Oldies. What have your kids introduced you to? I know they listen. That trap music? They're like, oh man. Okay, so No, do it, mom. (laughs) No, yeah, no. Well, um, we had a really funny thing happen recently where um, we were at a... We were at a wedding and and one of the moms, it was like this whole group that we were all in a home group together years ago. We raised our kids together and one of the kids is getting married, but one of the moms is sitting next to my son and she says, uh, well, my my son went through a really rough period. He was listening to rap music. Oh, God. And uh, Matt Wilkin, his whole face just like blanches. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, really uh, so I would not listen to everything that the kids listen to kids today today. (laughs) but the other thing is is like my kids are in school at A&M and country music is a big deal country dancing is a big social element of being down there so I'm being introduced a lot of Florida Georgia line down there Pat Green is that is that I don't know country music. So a couple of years ago, uh, for one of the village churches, like Chris staff Christmas parties, there was like a cover band. Do you guys remember this? Yeah. Yes. And they were playing George Strait songs. They did a great job. Now mm-hmm. I walked in and, uh, uh, I was listening to it and one of our staffers, uh, prominent staffer came up to me and was like, uh, singing the song. And I was like, how do you know this song? And he was like, well, it was George Strait. And I was like, oh, I know George Strait. He sings that song. There's, uh, it's Morning in Amarillo. <laughs> and the guy was like, what? <laughs> I was trying to like really level with them. I was right. like trying to be like, listen, I get George Strait. <laughs> yeah, the, the Morning in Amarillo. And he was like, are you talking about Amarillo by morning? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. That is, is that the name of the song? Yes. Okay, great. See, see even I th- think, I think. I'm not okay. out. This not is me trying music. to level with you. <laughs> you remember, Kyle, when you used to write blog posts about Jay-Z and mm-hmm. Hozier? Hose, how do you say it? Ho- Hozier, I think. Ho- Hozier? Yeah. Hozier. Yeah, you, so I wrote a blog post at the time that Jen was the editor of the blog, and she goes, Kyle, no one knows this song <laughs> or this artist. This song went on to be like the number one single of that year. So I'm and not going to say I'm a prophet, actually, but. Actually, I really like them now. Well, well. Thanks for introducing me to yeah, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. JT, what kind of music you into? I, here's what's weird. I, I honestly... Jock I, jams? Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I yeah. hate this question because I just don't... Con- like, 
the music I probably listen to most uh-huh. is like instrumental. Like okay. I love just right. listening to stuff when I'm either doing emails or reading uh-huh. or whatever that kind of stuff. I don't listen to a ton of stuff. But when you are working out, though, you have told me you're very committed to listening to Miley Cyrus. Uh, it, I mean, it's just That's one of those things that just pumps me up. Hey, I will say this though: there is a this is I feel like this is like Gen- Gen- just to say Gen- on a on a podcast. Like, yeah, well, Jen is singing the whole song. Like yeah, okay. Jen, Jen taught our staff how to Dougie a few weeks ago. No, she's that's into a this. Lie. Gosh. That is an absolute lie. Uh, I'm, I'm, a glad, I'm glad. I was, I'm glad that image is not yeah, in right. <laughs> hey, can I? I actually do want to give a shout out here to a group that I have been listening to. Okay. I feel like this is sacrilegious for a pastor to say. I don't like always love worship. Like I, I, I hear, uh, worship music. There's here's. I know I'm that's weird to say. At this mm-hmm. revelation. Right. Mm-hmm. There is a band, uh, City Alight, oh, uh, yeah. out of Australia. To they are just fantastic. <laughs> Macy yeah, and I have you been, turned me on to them. They're yeah, fantastic. Macy they are and I have been spending a lot of time listening to them. If, if you're in our house at night, we typically have that on, like just kind of on Sonos in the background or whatever. And it has been. If you are looking for a good worship band, City Alight is doing a fantastic. job. Maybe we can get Kyle to write a blog post and catapult them to number one. You know what? <laughs> is that what happened the first time around? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know my blogs were that influential. Um, hey, listen, we're glad that you're listening to Knowing Faith. Uh, we are talking about 2 Samuel today. Uh, and you might be thinking, why are we talking about 2 Samuel? Um, so why are we talking about 2 Samuel? Because that's what we're doing in Bible study, and we're pumped about it. <laughs> I... Um, <laughs> I really respect you, Jen, like a lot, and I like you as a friend. And I still cannot get excited first and second about first and second Samuel. JT is still harassing me because we didn't do Isaiah. Yeah, he will in, not in the back shut of my mind, up I'm about Isaiah. We could be talking about Isaiah mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. but we're going to be knee deep in Second Samuel. Second Samuel, I, yeah, I, gosh, I feel like I'm like really bordering the like heresy line this morning. <laughs> I like I like Second always. Samuel, yeah, always uh, <laughs> more than first. I, I think there's you some, like Second Samuel more than see, first. Here we go. That's like saying I like the end of Gone with the Wind better than the beginning. Oh my goodness! It's the Here's same the book. I've not read it, so it's that like, means nothing to me. Yeah, you well, don't you don't choose the end of a book or I don't the beginning. Know. I of resonate book. with John Wick two a lot more than John Wick one. Okay, mm, and I think it stands on its own. So if somebody was like, "Hey, I'm going to watch these John Wicks," I'd go watch the second one. Mm-hmm. But this is one story. I'm not saying that I don't like the first part of the story. I'm, I'm saying, saying I'm excited to finally no be in Second Samuel. There's no such thing as Second Samuel. Ooh, this is a okay. great place to start. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus. okay, but hold on, Jen. When I open up my Bible, there is a there's a, like a page demarcation, right? And it says at the top of it in big bold letters, it says Second Samuel. Mm-hmm. So when you say there's no such thing as Second Samuel, is the Bible lying to me? Yes. Oh no, my of course gosh. not. No, it's just, du- just it was due to scroll length when it was originally written down, and um, so it's broken up in a, in a logical place. Well, like whoever was trying to fit it onto the scrolls broke it up in a logical place. Well, but really, well, it's you, just the book mean, of Samuel. What do you mean by that scroll length? Like, so when when it's being written down, um, instead of just you know, it, so it's it's compiled. You know, from I don't want. Can I say this? It's compiled from some different sources yeah, into I mean, one book, right? Okay, People know that. Well, right? I, let's pause here. So there are um, a lot of times when we approach the Bible and we get to a book of the Bible, and this is particularly true of the historical books mm-hmm. in the Old Testament and the Torah, okay? Uh, but there are there are many folks who would look at these books of the Bible, and there are some who would say uh, these books were a unified whole written by a single author, and that that single author was X. And there are some books of the Bible where that is uncontested and very 
clear. There are other books of the Bible that appear to be the uh, accumulation of a variety of sources. And as Christians, we believe that typically evangelicals who hold a position like that, I know that this is what Jen would say, Mm -hmm. is that that... Uh, uh, that accumulation of these various sources were, was done under the inspiration of God and that the books themselves are no less inspired right. or authoritative than any other book of the Bible. Right. It's right. not It's not a threat to inerrancy or inspiration at all to right. say that. So I'm sorry to cut you off there, yeah. but you were talking about how they were assembled together yeah. by a variety of sources. So basically um, Samuel and Chronicles and Kings were just Samuel and Chronicles and Kings, but when they were physically written down, they took up more than would fit on one scroll. And so they're broken up for us into two parts. So it's it, it the the division here is largely just like incidental to how they were having to be written down. Yeah, although, you know, I'm sure thought was given to where you were going to put the division. Right, of course. Yeah. So what what is second what what is second Samuel? JT, like anyway, it's just a continuation of the story that we've left in First Samuel. Uh, it's hard to understand Second Samuel, and this is not just true of Second Samuel, but any book of the Bible outside of its context. So this is a book that's helping us understand the promises of God that specifically that were given to Abraham in Genesis 12, and their continual unfolding. So uh, just. 30-second overview, promise given to Abraham, you will be a nation that's going to bless mm-hmm. the nations, and all people will be blessed through you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to be with you. And ultimately, this is the promise of restoring God's kingdom. Uh, Abraham's family ends up in Egypt. A deliverer is given to them to take them back to God's promised land. And through this conquest, they they somewhat kind of partially inherit this land, and they begin setting up a government for themselves. This is Joshua and Judges. Uh, and then ultimately, God's people say, we want a king. We want a king like other nations. This king is going to give us economic security, military might, ultimately to establish God's kingdom. But this isn't the way that God had it, so God anoints mm-hmm. another king for himself. It's uh, kind of this, and these are two of the major characters in these books, uh, Saul and David, of which one is a king that is uh, God's king. Right. And how is God going to reign and rule over the nations and bring blessing to the nations? And so in First Samuel, we see Saul's king, kingdom, and Saul is trying to kind of uh, establish his authority and establish uh, Israel as a kingdom and defeat the Philistines. But ultimately, this shepherd boy, uh, we find, is going to be the king, and he is the one who is anointed by, Saul, by uh, uh, Samuel, the prophet. And so uh, ultimately, Second Samuel is kind of this juxtaposition of these two uh, kings, Saul mm-hmm. the first and David the second. And what is the question as we open up the book in Second Samuel is, is God going to establish his kingdom through David? Right. And if uh, just as a kind of a note here for resourcing, but if you're thinking, well, hold on, you guys are talking about Second Samuel, but I'm now feeling like I have to listen to some stuff or, or look into some stuff about First Samuel before I jump into this and follow along, because this will be an arc that we're tracing over the course of the spring semester. Mm-hmm. We'll be following along with Second Samuel, and so the kind of rhythm of knowing faith is that like every other episode is going to be focused on whatever book we're studying at the time. In this semester, it's Second Samuel, so you're going to hear a lot about Second Samuel, and we're going to be going through chunks of the story uh, as we release Knowing Faith episodes. But if you want more of it, if you want some of the lead up to 2 Samuel, you can find the curriculum for the first Samuel uh, Bible study that the village did last semester. This mm-hmm. would be the fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find that curriculum at tvcresources.net along with audio and video to accompany the actual classes. I right? think just audio right now. Video will come eventually. Okay, so mm-hmm. audio right now. You can find the audio for those classes. You can listen to some gifted teachers here in the life of the village teach through First Samuel. Um, and then we also did a series of Knowing Faith episodes. One to introduce First Samuel and then episodes through some kind of big Major chunks. Themes. Um, you can find that on the Knowing Faith feed. Um, so JT, you did a great job of giving the story so far when we arrive at Second Samuel. Um, Jen, can you maybe point out what are going to be some of the 
like what are some of the big things happening over the course of Second Samuel? Are there a, is there a mega theme that's being continued from First Samuel? Is there are there these big pillar moments? Is there something huge that's happening in redemptive history? What, yeah, okay. this is a major transitional book, right? So you had, it comes on the heels of the book of Judges, which is a study in chaos. And um, the judges were the, the, the functional rulers of Israel, but they were ruling over, you know, individual areas. There was no cohesive um, approach to rule. And, uh, and the book of Judges paints just an alarming and terrible picture of what it looks like when the people choose to go their own way, when the judges choose to serve their own ends instead of God's ends. And, and it leaves you saying, well, that, that didn't work. Now what? And so then we have the introduction of Samuel and he is the last in the line of the judges and he transitions the kingdom to the monarchy. And as um, JT was pointing out, you get this, you know, the people say we want Saul and Saul's name even means um, asking. And so he's the, he is the ask of their asking. Hmm. And then in contrast to that, then you have David who we know him best as a man, what? After God's heart. After God's own heart. But um, one of the commentators that we got into last semester, and honestly, this has really shifted the way I even think about the whole structure of the book, said that a better way to hear that is a, is the man of God's choosing, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense if you lay him in contrast to Saul, which is exactly what the book is doing. So and you have the man of the people's choosing, and then David is the man of God's choosing. Can I just say something too? Yeah. That's helpful too, because that man after God's own heart line gets thrown around oh, by David so often. Blah. And then you have to end up explaining away a lot of David's life because you're like then people are like but isn't he a man after God's own heart and he didn't he commit adultery and like kill this guy and in a lot of ways his sin is greater than sin. right? So you're, like it's more egregious. The and you're like, well, who is God if this is a man right. after God's exactly. own heart? Oh, yeah, okay, no, that's totally. Really I think it's a massive distinction, and I'm really curious to see what more I can find okay. that's been written on it because it was like, oh shoot, that really makes this whole book make way more, and the story of David make way more sense because you're able to take him off the pedestal, right. and uh, which is what we need. And, and, th- and that's why I love doing this book, even though JT wanted us to do Isaiah. Hey, this is a great book. Is because we think we know these stories mm-hmm. and the way that we have learned them is there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. Right. And David's the good guy and Saul's the bad guy. And so let's see how many rocks we can throw at Saul and how many accolades we can give to David. And, and that is such an over really simplistic view of how the story plays out. Um, and, and, and I mean, we're going to have to really spend time this semester staring hard at, at not just what David does, but how David gets to the place of doing what he does. And, and there will be things to celebrate and there will be things that are very sobering mm-hmm. and, and instructive. So you have uh, David as a major character. Right. Who are some of the other major characters that people might just, like, either they might know of or they should be on the lookout for as we get into Second Samuel? Well, David's sons are going to be an interesting picture for us. Um, they're going to they're gonna speak a lot to that most frightening parenting principle of all, more is caught than taught. Mm. So uh, you'll see Absalom 
you know, end up trying to take over the kingdom and all the heartbreak that comes out of that. Uh, and then you'll see how Amnon treats his sister. And another thing that I think we'll get to do is spend some time paying attention. So in the book of Judges, there's this theme of um, sort of watching the women and seeing how the women are treated and mm-hmm. the whole idea that the most, the way we treat the most vulnerable among us is the indicator of how civilized a society we are. That's kind of a generally accepted right. principle um, by believers and unbelievers. And so I think if you pay attention to this to the story arc, not just of the kings, but also of the vulnerable, it, it says a lot mm-hmm. about um, That's good. about what's being communicated. So if you continue that from Judges into Samuel, which I think is appropriate from from just a, a literary standpoint, so we get to pay attention to uh, Micah, to Bathsheba, uh, to Tamar, uh, and and ask some questions to, to to David's concubines, even to the way that uh, David thinks about marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which Nathan, Nathan's Nathan. going to play a huge role. Oh yeah, I mean, um, yeah, and and connecting those stories. So, like, I think one of the most common things that you see uh, done with the stories that are in First and Second Samuel is they're just presented as standalones. And so, uh, one of the things I'm I'm looking forward to getting into is that we will not have permission to read the story of David and Bathsheba without immediately reading the story of um, the rape of Tamar and, mm-hmm. and and saying how do these two stories connect to one another is going to be really important. Yeah. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up his anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of his immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Jen, uh, this might be, uh, I think I can ask this question. What do you think the main question uh, in terms of like the biblical storyline is as we come to 2 Samuel? Like, like, uh, what should people be expecting to either be left in tension or to be answered by the end of the book? Uh, who is the rightful king mm-hmm. yeah. is the question, yeah. right? And what, is the, and what does God's kingdom look like? Yeah. 
I think so. That's mm-hmm. good. Because you, you think about, we, we talk about 2 Samuel 7 a lot. A lot. Uh, with God making covenant with David. Mm-hmm. And that how important that is for the rest of the redemptive storyline of scripture. Right. Right. Uh, and in some ways, and we've talked about this, I think we talked about this a little bit. I could be misremembering when we were doing our podcast on 1 Samuel. But one of the big things that's happening in the historical books that we often miss, and it's because we have a truncated view of the story of Scripture, because our view of the gospel is typically um, what I would say is a faithful, very right next to me view of the gospel, Mm -hmm. which is like the gospel is primarily God is saving me Mm -hmm. through his son, Jesus, Mm -hmm. by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is kind of the gospel at like horizontal level right here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the 30,000 foot view of the gospel, the good news is that God is establishing his kingdom over the whole world. That's right. And if you're an Israelite, when David shows up, well, first off, when Saul shows up, you are sorely disappointed that God's kingdom now lacks a king again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when David shows up, you're you're thinking this is it. This is it. We are gonna have mm-hmm. God. God said He was gonna establish His kingdom over the whole world. And He's they with lived us happily ever after. We're gonna build a house for right. Him. The right. King is on the throne. So it looks like I mean, if you put yourself in a position of an Israelite yeah. who has been soaked in the story that Yahweh has been telling His people, who has experienced that, whose generations have experienced the Exodus from Egypt, you've been freed from um, slavery. God has put you in a land, and He's now given you a conquering and faithful King, conquering and faithful both being in kind of air quotes there okay mm-hmm. because it's 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 not all that it seems to be and the the reader gets to see that before the the actual people would have felt that but is that like oh we're here. God's kingdom has been established. The promises mm-hmm. are being fulfilled yep. right now. Yep. Here we go. With the construction of the temple is going to be like a cr- kind of a crown jewel in that element. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But David is certainly giving that impression. Mm-hmm. And if you're just following along, if you don't know the whole story, you you could get to Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, which are a good accompaniment to it, mm-hmm. and go, well, is, is the Bible it? ending? Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. That, that, no, that, for that's, sure. That's what you should be feeling. It's like, oh mm-hmm. man, we did it. Promise to Abraham, God mm-hmm. is accomplished. Yeah, mm-hmm. here's David, and here's a kingdom, and we're a people, and we have a land, and we miss a lot of that because it's not something we're even trained to expect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, they would have been feeling it in a very pronounced way. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little. I, I, this is not in in our notes, and so we might Uh-oh. we might Here find we ourselves go. in trouble. I want to ask the question because I think when people read, particularly the historical books, they go, what does God do? Like, what is God up to in all this? Like, if God, like, why why do we care about this? Where is the voice of God? You don't really hear God. Um, I want to be careful I say this. There is not direct, immediate speech from God often in the historical mm-hmm. books being like you have passages that say God said or God spoke, but you have these stories and they're kind of cascading. So what is the role? We talked a little bit about this in 1 Samuel, but for somebody jumping into 2 Samuel or following along with us, what's the role of God in a book like 2 Samuel? Is it, does the question make sense? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've been pressing on in the in the study is that even when God is silent in the narrative, his sovereign hand is evident in the way that the story is being told. Mm-hmm. That's great. So he's always working behind the scenes, even when, uh, I mean, you could argue, you know, in the book of Judges, it, it, he's largely silent in, in, in a literal sense, yeah. but he is certainly speaking uh, and, and acting all the way through the book. And so that's a muscle that we need to flex when we are reading these kinds of texts is even when God is not speaking. And, and also, you know, like another thing, um, 
this came out when we were studying Genesis as well, look for the chapters or the portions of the text where God drops out of the narrative because those are usually the most violent, the most dark moments in the text. And they're, they're, a picture is being painted for us of you know when the people shift their focus away from the Lord, this is what happens. Right. And then even when your sense that, oh, he's working behind the scenes has returned to the text, then, then you can look for the story to pick up with. There's, a, there's, there's hope to be traced here. And so um, I think rather than feeling like, oh, God wasn't in that chapter, it's asking how is God in the chapter, even if not explicitly presented to us as so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a different answer for that. That's great. But one of the instincts that that has built in me as I think about that is a reminder of God's patience oh, in yeah. the midst of darkness, Long destruction. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he just has been and continues to be patient with his people, uh, far more patient than I contend to be, or I mm-hmm. imagine you contend to be. Like when I see things going wrong, I'm like, let's fix it. Let's get it better. Got mm-hmm. it, you know. But just a reminder that God is long-suffering. God is patient in the midst of incredibly horrific sin and walking away from God's plan. He just continues to even use uh, what we intend for evil Mm-hmm. for the kingdom mm-hmm. and for good. Right, and the historical books, just to kind of come alongside, those are both excellent. I don't have anything to add. The historical books that will frustrate our attempt to make the Bible apply to our life. Oh, this yeah. Is, this is why I feel like most yeah. people drop out in the historical yeah. books in their Bible reading plan or they get re- that or it can lead to some really messed up stuff. So like <clears throat> the historical books are descriptive and if they're prescriptive in any manner, it's usually from a principle perspective and like a don't do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they're not um, self-consciously prescriptive. That's not the genre that we're even dealing with, right? We talked about this in the last episode in terms of how to read the Bible. You read, uh, you read portions of the Bible like the genre calls you to read it, and the historical books will frustrate your attempt to go, what does this mean for me? Let me liberate you from something. Most of the historical books have no immediate application to your life. That's right. Is that fair? It is fair. I will say uh, we, had, we had Nancy Guthrie come in and do a training. She was here for an event that we did, which is fantastic. And you can find that online. It was our um, women's forum, but we had her do a training with our teachers uh, and, and with regarding like the Davidic covenant and um, some content around Samuel. And one of the things that she helped with in terms of making application is she said, our tendency is to look at David and say, how should I be like him? And we talked about this some in a previous episode. That's not wholly wrong um, because if David is like Christ in some way, we should want to be like Christ and we right. should ask those questions. But she said a, a better place to start is to say, what are the what are the average people doing in this story? Mm-hmm because they're probably behaving the way that I behave. That's so, for example, in the story of David and Goliath, you know, what are the Israelites doing? They're cowering and doubting the Lord. So the application I can take from that, rather than say, how can I take up my slingshot and kill Goliath? Maybe I start with, how do I behave like the Israelites and doubt, doubt that the Lord is, is who he says he is? Yeah. So there are applications that can be drawn, but I think what I would, I would probably say it this way. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. To of sitting in the story, and I mean sitting in the whole story of Samuel, right. to be able to say, okay, this is the most. You might be able to draw an application. Mm-hmm. Is it the primary application? Is it the most important application? Probably not until you've sat in the story for quite a while. And you know, this goes back to what we've talked about in our previous episode. You cannot rush application. 
which is my main so beef good, with devotional reading. It's not that devotional reading doesn't have benefit, but it can tend to push us toward wanting to rush application. And we just don't get to do that. Sometimes it is easy and, and evident, but I think the Old Testament historical books, as you're saying, they're, a, they're an opportunity for us to embrace the crockpot approach to Ooh, reading the Bible. There we go. Crockpot approach. <laughs> Crockpot, crock if you're listening, we will receive free crockpots. Uh-huh. No instant pot. I want an instant pot. There's okay. no, no instant pot reading in First and Second Samuel. Okay, perfect. Um, uh, okay, why uh, why shouldn't I skip Second Samuel in my Bible reading plan? Like, what am I going to lose if I'm reading the Bible and I see Second Samuel's coming up in the, the beginning of March if I'm reading through the Old Testament? That sounds about right. Um, why shouldn't I skip it? I mean, there's a lot Cause, of themes. Because I, I, I want to. There's a lot of <laughs> themes that you'll miss. But one thing that we have not talked a lot about, at least that I can recall, is Second uh, Timothy says that all scripture is inspired and breathed out by mm-hmm. God. So we, we never want to diminish any parts of scripture. However, there are hot spots of scripture mm-hmm. where if you don't understand the kind of the major pillars or hot spots, all the other stories will cease to make sense. There is a hot spot in Second Samuel and it's Second Samuel 7. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a full comprehension of the person and work of Jesus in terms of who he understood himself to be, who the disciples thought he was, and who his contemporaries thought he was without understanding that text. Mm -hmm. That text is known as the Davidic Covenant. I know we'll get to it later in a podcast, so we can cover it a little bit now or later, but this is one of the major pillars. Mm -hmm. If you pull this pillar out from the biblical storyline, what Jesus is doing ceases to make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Or that or whenever, or we're not shocked surprised or interested when he says I'm son of David. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is what's funny. This is how my worlds collide every, every year about this time. Um, I am currently working on writing, uh, along with the team, the curriculum for our fall study, which will be acts spoiler alert. And so I spent some time looking at Jesus ascension, um, as I was putting together the homework yesterday and, um, and the book of Acts, everybody would would acknowledge, is a hinge book. Like it's it's institute. It's a it's a birth narrative for the church, and um, the book of Samuel is a birth narrative for the kingdom uh, of Israel. Mm-hmm. And um, what you see in the ascension of Christ is 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 an enthronement picture that that points back to Daniel chapter seven. And we don't have, we'll get into that you know when we start talking about uh, Acts. But um, if we're going to understand what it means that Christ is enthroned and ruling, then we need to understand these these narratives that we're pointing toward that truth. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Samuel is doing. It's setting us up for the understanding. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Yeah, that's right. And it's not just the gospel's picture of Jesus. I mean, there's people who who. Uh, as Jesus is walking by, will say, son of David, heal us, mm-hmm. right? But it's not just in the gospels. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Romans, which I think every good evangelical Protestant is going to say, this is the heart of the gospel. Right. This is where Paul is clearly communicating to a church what he understands the gospel is. What is his introduction? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart uh, for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is the son of David. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, so Paul is setting up his entire understanding of the gospel based upon this hot spot in scripture, Second yeah. Samuel 7. That's really good. Yeah, when people ask me, hey, how much of the Old Testament do I need to know to really be able to make sense of the gospels? I'll often say, you, you can't get there without getting Genesis 1 through 15, 
uh, second, uh, the Exodus event, Second Samuel seven, Isaiah and Daniel. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are the bit. I mean, like, you, would you add? Would you add? I'm sure you would. Uh, uh, Mosaic covenant. Yeah, yeah. With ex, the Exodus, yeah. the, the, whole, the whole including book. that. Yep. Because those are like, if you miss covenant with, if you miss creation, and that Jesus is the the better Adam, the last Adam, the true Adam, and that he's doing what Adam couldn't do, mm-hmm. you miss it. Mm-hmm. If you miss that he's like fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, you miss it. If you miss that he's fulfilling the the Mosaic covenant and the greater Moses to lead his people out, you miss it. And then is the fulfillment of the Davidic king and the promises of Isaiah and Daniel. Man, Jesus is like at every turn invoking that yes. or somebody's invoking that about him. Yep. Um, and so I, I really feel like 2 Samuel, in particular 2 Samuel 7, which we're going uh, to spend a whole podcast talking about, mm-hmm. um, the covenant with David. Uh, th- these are some of those things that it is really easy for us to feel like, okay, they don't have, I don't see the immediate yield for me, and so I just need to move past it. But they are the things that texture the Bible. Uh, and um, they're kind of, it's almost like when you go see a beautiful piece of art like like you mm-hmm. go see like a beautiful painting i did not know this until years ago um and so uh but i was there and we were walking around with the museum curator and i was like wow this is really incredible and you know it's it's incredible how pronounced it feels off that they're able to do that and and he goes well you realize that there are like multiple textures underneath yeah. this right and i had no yeah. idea i mean I'm, i sound foolish saying that but i had no idea and a lot of times our story of the bible is so thin and our christian faith is thin because of it uh, and we need some of that rich texturing and, and books like second samuel do that yeah uh just thought i'd throw in that david is mentioned explicitly over 50 times in the new testament mm. and so i think we kind of encounter him just you know at one one mention at a time and we don't always piece together just how large he looms over the new testament insofar as he's pointing to christ so yes of course we want to go back to that original story and know it because it's going to shape so much of how we then read each mention when we see him in the new testament yeah it's good well hey kind of uh to kind of land the plane here so somebody's like okay enough of second samuel i can't do any more second samuel let's land with something that's different are you guys reading anything good right now Anything I'm so proud of myself. Do you know why? Why? I, know why. I finally finished Anna Karenina. <laughs> I was. Wait, I felt like the Knowing Faith audience needed that update. <laughs> I just needed Everybody to say takes it. A deep sigh. Don't <laughs> congratulate me. Don't tell me good job. It took me from January to December, and when I got done, I did not want to read another Russian. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can appreciate it. Those of you who love the book, yeah. I get it. I loved the parts that were really good were really good, but man, it was a slog. So now I'm reading, thanks for asking, um, All the Light We Cannot See, which won the Pulitzer Prize, and it is delightful. Hmm. Not just because I just read Anna Karenina, it is so beautifully written, and I'm halfway through, so I don't know what's going to happen. It's cool. You reading anything interesting right now? Uh, Yeah. Uh, this isn't going to surprise anybody. It's going to feel super lame. One of the things that's been hard for me since I left uh, kind of the academic world is just reading deep, rich theology on a regular basis. We're really busy in our work, and mm-hmm. it's just uh, which I'm grateful for. But we've got lots of meetings, emails. I mean, our jobs are just like any job you might have if you're listening to this. And so for me, I decided this year to visit uh, James K.A. Smith. And even Matt talks about this from the stage sometimes, having ancient friends, just friends that you can go back to kind of as warm blankets. Mm-hmm. For Matt, it's Augustine. I love Augustine. But as listeners of this podcast might already know, I know the two of you do. It's Herman Bovink for me. Right. He's just somebody who 
met me. Uh, I read his book at an important kind of pivotal formative time in my life, and I've gone back to him this year. I'm reading his Reform Dogmatics, four volumes, three, just kind of have a reading plan, and it has already been. I know people are like rolling their eyes. That's fine. For me, it's just been a, it's been a consolation. It's been a reminder of the gospel, a reminder maybe even what God has called me to vocationally of just thinking God's thoughts after that. Like just what does it mean to be a theologian? What does it mean to be a theologian in the context of the church, the importance of the work, the humility of the work, the, 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 the grind of the work? Uh, he reminds me of those things. And so I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I also do some audible stuff. I've listened recently to a book called Them by Ben Sass. Oh, uh, my son just finished that. Yeah. He's trying to get the whole family to read it. Yeah, it was a really good book. Uh, candidly, I preferred his previous book, The Vanishing American Adult, a mm-hmm. little bit more, but it's not because them wasn't good. Uh, so those two books have been really great also. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm reading Shoe Dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Phil Knight, he's the guy who created yes. Nike. Yes. So it's a memoir <laughs> called Shoe Dog. Oh, I bet that's great. It's I love memoirs. Oh my gosh, it's fascinating. He's a great writer, and it's a lot of fun to read. And um, the stories he tells about... The guy, well, I mean, he spent most of his like adult career working for a different shoe company, mm-hmm. like trying to sell somebody else's shoes in America. Um, and uh, it's fascinating. It's a really good book. Um, I have a theory that the only people who can write memoirs are people whose primary relationships have completely disintegrated. Oh, wow. Because then you can just like say it. You can go, yeah. this person was terrible and they shaped me in terrible ways. And I'm like, oh, is that person still alive? Because you just wrote that in a book. Yeah. Sorry, Phil Knight. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read his book, but man, I've read some scorchers where you're like, yeah. you just said it's that true. out loud. It's true. I also want to apologize to the Russian audience uh, for Jim's <laughs> right. comments. Uh, we love you. We don't care for your novels. No, no, no. I, I did. I loved it. But I do think, don't you think that like some of those people were writing during a time where editors were a little less fastidious? I was like, if For I sure. turned in this manuscript to my <laughs> editor, he'd be like, oh, heck no. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That and there was no Netflix. Yes. So true. Yep. There was an upside. <laughs> for more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, and I know JT is excited about this, I'm we're going to be talking about, I'm excited about all of them, Christology. Uh, but I do get particularly excited about that. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> Grace and peace.